Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, so Matt, uh, we went panning for gold the other day, which I, I thought was fun. Um, we didn't. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, we didn't find any gold. We found mostly leverite. Uh, it's leverite because you just leave her right there. yeah yeah just leave it right there good evening everybody and welcome to the graveyard thank you for joining us tonight my name is adam and my name's matt now pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is graveyard tales <laughs> all right everybody here we are again matt how you doing tonight brother hey i'm doing okay excellent Other than freezing to death yeah yep i know it's it's been on and off cold here too and i, I don't like it i, I don't like it's the just, cold it's cold it's cold in the graveyard because my uh I had to take my my infrared heater in the house yep. because it's been so cold here for the oh, last yeah. week or so. Yeah. Um, and uh, so now I've just got this little, like, it's a heater. It looks like a satellite dish. <laughs> and it don't, it don't do much. It almost has to be, like, on you. Right. So <laughs> you're actually, you can probably see my breath. <laughs> <laughs> well, when, uh, if we... If it's this cold when we record next time, just bring a big blanket or a snuggie or something and wear that's the what, snuggie. That's, that's what's next, you know. Yeah. I got I had to break out the big heavy hoodie tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so we want to say check out the Podbelly Network at podbelly.com. You can find some different shows to listen to that you might not find normally. So go over there and check them out. We're proud to be members of the Podbelly Network. Um, we also want to thank tonight's sponsors, Fields, Every Plate, and Best Fiends. And we'll talk a little bit more about each one of them in a little bit. Um, while you're on the internet doing your Googlings and your Yahoosing and whatever else you do on there, um, go over to patreon.com slash graveyard tales and you can sign up to be a patron of the show. Um, and for your donations, you get bonus content. We try to do bonus content every week. And then if you're a $10 member, you get not only the bonus content and something mailed out to you, but Mm -hmm. you also get the video versions of all the shows that we record. So you can see us record the episode, make faces at each other when we mess up and also see the mess ups. We try not to cut those out in the video version. So go check that out if you're interested. Yeah. And we've got a... We've got a pretty substantial catalog in the Patreon shows now, yep. so um, you you could get a a ton of extra content um, that is different from the regular show, right? And it's got um, there is the ability to get an RSS feed, and you drop that into your podcatcher, so you can get our audio versions of the bonus episodes in your podcatcher. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't have to always go to Patreon to listen to it. If that's one thing that's holding you back, you're like, well, I, I don't want to go to the website all the time to hear it. Well, for the audio versions, you can just load them into your podcatcher and get them like you would our normal shows. Um, we want to say thank you to everybody who has rated and reviewed us recently. Um, that really helps. It brings us up the charts and makes us more visible to people so that more people will find the graveyard and join us. Um, if you haven't given us a review, you go do that for us. If you don't mind, it takes just a second. Um, give us a five-star review and say something. And you can actually do that now in Spotify and Audible. Um, so if you listen to us in Audible, we are on Audible. Um, so go check us out there. You can review us there as well. Um, but like I said, thank you to everybody who has done that. Mm-hmm. All right, Matt. So let's take a second and talk about Feels CBD. Now, you've heard us talk about Feels before, but Feels is a better way to feel better. They have premium CBD that will keep your head clear and help you feel your best. And CBD has been proven to greatly reduce anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. Now, navigating the world of CBD can be complicated, and it feels they look to make the process as simple as possible so you can start feeling better sooner. And if you're new to CBD, they offer a CBD hotline to help guide you through this discovery process. And we've talked about it before, but, you know, for me... And, and Matt, you can probably relate to this. It's a dual thing for me with CBD. It's not only anxiety, which I have going into large crowds and shopping at malls and stuff like that, but also it's pain. I have chronic neck and shoulder pain. And before I found CBD, nothing would touch it. And I didn't want to get on any medications or anything like that for it. So Thankfully, I found CBD and found Feel CBD, and since taking that, it, it's lessened to the point of almost not having it at all, uh, the neck pain and the shoulder pain. And it, I, I mean, I never thought it was possible. I thought I'd be stuck with yeah. it the rest of my life due to the injury I had. But thanks to Feels and their different strengths, that's the cool part, is they got different strengths depending on how you're feeling, then... I was able to almost knock it completely out. Yeah. And, you know, CBD is a natural remedy for, like Adam says, pain, but stress, anxiety, insomnia. I mean, these are these are great ways to handle those problems without having to take another prescription. Right. Okay? Now... I have pain and I have anxiety just like Adam. You know, it's a little bit different, but it's amazing how much it works. I deal with gout and, you know, when when I get a gout flare-up, I can just up my dosage of CBD and knock it out without having to take steroids, without having to take painkillers. It's amazing. You just put a few drops of feels under your tongue and you feel the difference within minutes. And that's the thing. Adam mentioned the dosing. Finding the right dose is critical. And that's why Feels comes in different strengths and has a hotline that will help you determine what is the best dose for you. I dare you to find so another great. company that does that. 
yeah. that has the hotline. You're you're not going to find it. You you go into a a, a gas station or um, you know a supermarket and you're like, oh, I've heard about this CBD stuff, but I have no idea how much to take. You stick with feels. You know it works, and you know they're going to be able to help you take the right amount to help your problem. Now, joining Feels uh, monthly membership, it makes it so easy because you'll save money on every order and you can pause or cancel at any time. So Graveyard Tells listeners can start feeling better with Feels. By becoming a member today, go to feels.com slash grave. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash grave g-r-a-v-e and you'll get 50 percent off your first order plus free shipping that's right that's f-e-a-l-s dot com slash g-r-a-v-e feels dot com slash grave you can become a member and get 50 percent automatically taken off your first order with free shipping Matt, that's all I got. So, why don't you tell us? What are we talking about tonight, brother? Okay. So, from November of 1989 through April of 1990, the citizens of Belgium thought they were under attack from outer space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, No joke. A wave of UFO reports began coming in of a of large triangular shaped objects with bright lights flying over the Belgian countryside. Now, during these six months, the investigative body tasked by the Belgian Air Force to research and collect data on the UFOs would receive an estimated 2,600 reports. That's crazy. 2,600 UFO reports. Usually we're lucky to get 26. No, I know, I know, 2,600. So tonight, Adam and I are going to look into the Belgian UFO wave, as it is termed. Right. And like we always say, go check our sources down on the bottom of the show notes. You can find where we found all this stuff. And there's some pretty interesting photos and everything in our sources this week. So go check that out. Um, But first, we need to look at the country and the region of Belgium. Uh, Just a a quick little rundown of that before we get into the sightings. Now, Belgium, it's a country of northwestern Europe. It is one of the smallest and most densely populated European countries, and it has been since its independence in 1830, a representative uh, democracy headed by a hereditary constitutional monarch. Now, the country has a total of 860 miles or 1,385 kilometers of land, uh, of land boundaries with neighbors. Um, it, is, um, on the, it is bordered by the Netherlands to the north, Germany to the east, Luxembourg to the southeast, and France to the south. Belgium has some 40 miles of shoreline as well on the North Sea. Now, the population of Belgium is divided into three linguistic communities. In the north of Flemings, who constitute more than half of Belgium's population, they speak Flemish, which is equivalent to Dutch, sometimes called um, Netherlandic. 
In the South, the French-speaking Walloons make up about one-third of the country's population. About one-tenth of the people are completely bilingual, but a majority have some knowledge of both French and uh, Flemish. And the German-language region is in eastern Liège province, containing a small fraction of the Belgian population. So it... So what is the official language of Belgium? I would say all three of those. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, well, it's crazy to us. Right. Right. You know, in, in the U.S., our other, official other language. countries are, are, you know, are different. Right. Our official language in the U.S. is English, but yeah. we have probably hundreds of other languages spoken. Oh, sure. But, um, you know, government paperwork and all that is mostly in English. So, um. I think in, and if you're in Belgium and I'm incorrect, let me know. But I, I think there, you know, most things like some other European countries, you see Flemish and uh, uh, German and French on a sign, yeah. like a street sign. You'd yeah. see at least two, maybe three of them. Now, the first part of the story happens in Yupan, Belgium. So we need to look at Yupan a little bit. And Yupan is the capital of East Belgium. It's a city and municipality in the Belgian province of Liège, 15 kilometers or nine miles from the German border. Now, in 1993, Yupan was chosen as the location for an international contemporary art center, partly because of its setting at the crossroads of Belgium, Germany, Luxembourg, and the Netherlands. Um, and this is the only art museum in the German-speaking community of Belgium. And anticipating future trends in art, um, it's setting. they set up the IKOB Art Prize, uh, which was awarded every three years to emerging artists. I don't know if it's IKOB or ICOB, but either one. Um, now, south of Yupin is the High Fins. It's a plateau of raised peat bogs in Moreland. That originated in the last ice age some 7,500 years ago. Now, a portion of this landscape has been protected in an immense cross-border nature park, adding to almost 250,000 hectares, um, 70,000 of which are in Belgium. Now, Yupan, meanwhile, is on the edge of the plateau here. And here they say the countryside is all wooded hills and rolling pastures and speckled with dairy cattle. So, yeah. interesting. They got all this cattle, and then the UFOs decide to show up. Uh-huh. Yeah, they attract them, don't they? Weird, huh? You know what's funny is I remember I learned something. I remember looking at a photo of all these cows on this rolling pasture hills. I mean, just gorgeous. And you're like, that's not in the U.S. I mean, right. you just kind of know. Yeah. Um. And I'm looking at this picture, and I, in my ignorance, am assuming that I am looking at Switzerland or somewhere. Nope, Belgium. Yep, yep. You know, so this this gorgeous rolling countryside with all these cows. I was like, that's got you know, gotta gotta be Swiss. No, oh no, Belgium. So beautiful area there. Yep. From the pictures um, I've seen, it's it's gorgeous. When this all started. You, you've got an idea now where where you are. So it's not like a real urban area um, where this began. That's important because what we're talking about, these people saw um, was quite large and it wasn't going to be mistaken for lights on a skyscraper or planes coming in and out of an airport, anything. 
it wasn't because you're kind of you're kind of out in a rural area, right? But, but you've got a lot of you know it's like up here we call it big sky country. You got a lot of sky to look up in and see something like this flying overhead. Mm-hmm. So on November 29th, nineteen eighty nine, just outside of the town of of Yupin, uh, the gendarmes who are the federal police officers, uh, Heinrich Nickel and Ubervon Montigue were on a routine patrol when they saw a field near a road that they described as being lit up like a football field. American so, football or yeah, like soccer, soccer football? <laughs> yep, <I know. laughs> soccer, you know, for, for all the Americans listening. Under Everybody the else Friday knows night exactly lights. what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, but they pulled over to the side of the road and they saw a huge triangular platform with what they called large headlights. And it had one orange pulsating light. Now, they called their dispatcher a man named Albert Krutz, but he didn't believe them at first. He thought they were pulling a prank. Now, Nickel and Montague were follow, or followed the object along the road towards Yupin. Now, they could see it clearly because the lights were really, really bright. Mm-hmm. Now, they, they said they drove slowly because it appeared that someone was in the object watching them. Okay? So, it's one thing to, to see, the, you know, a, a UFO or some type of craft or something flying above you. It's another thing to be able to see it well enough and close enough to actually determine that there might be an individual up there. Yep. We've only heard that once or twice from some of these different stories that we've encountered that they see individuals in the craft. So that means it has to be close if you can see that. Try seeing uh, somebody in a plane or a helicopter. (laughs) You know, a helicopter even hovering not far above the ground if they're mm-hmm. a certain distance away you're not going to see in the helicopter cockpit right think about how hard it is to see the other driver in a car from a distance true yeah i mean you know that's tough mm-hmm. but um if you're if you're watching the video the image behind me this is not a photograph. This is an artist's rendering of what was reported. I thought it was a new hat you yes, figured out. Yes, new hat. Matt's <laughs> <laughs> uh, got a new triangular hat yep. with lights on it. Everybody it, come look. It's a new tricorn hat. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have that. And I'll wear it, wear it here with my werewolf belt. There you go. That's a throwback. <laughs> Way back. Now, like I said, Kruitz, the dispatcher, he didn't believe him at first, but then Kruitz noted the unusual, so he had noted the unusual object in his log, but he was still pretty skeptical. So moments later, a strange light flashed across Kruitz's office in Yupin. And so he saw the object in the distance, but didn't know what it was. But he realized that he had two officers in the field that were reporting seeing some weird object flying, and now he's seeing it out his window. Now, the two officers continued to follow the object into Yupin, 
and the object then stopped and appeared to be measuring something on the ground. Now, the two men watched the object for 30 minutes. That is an eternity mm-hmm. for a UFO sighting. I mean, if somebody told me they saw a UFO for 30 seconds, I'd be like, holy crap. Yeah, right. You know, I can't believe you saw it for that long. We're talking about a half hour here. Mm-hmm. They were able to follow this thing. And it's an interesting observation to say that they noticed it measuring something. Because didn't I, they I say know, like a light beam came out and like came out of tracked, it. Yeah. Uh, it tracked from one side to the other. So measuring, I, I mean, I can see where they would get that. But then I also would, I think I would say it. They were looking for something, not that they were measuring something. Well, I and I and I think you may be right, but I kind of when I read this, I took it as okay. So they're they're looking back and forth to maybe to see where they could land. Yeah, if maybe. you know they're looking, that's you know if if the beam goes this far, then it's not going to hit it on this side. If it goes this far, then it won't hit it on that side. This would be a place where we could set this thing down. Sure. Yeah. Or they could have been hunting for something. I mean, you know, they, either way, they needed to see the ground is what it appeared to these guys. Mm-hmm. But then out of nowhere, another one appeared and began to rise into the sky. So the other object was shaped the same as the first one. It was triangular, but it it flew away pretty quickly. Now, after that, Kreutz saw the object again outside of his window, but this time it was much closer. And now he full-on believed the two officers. He was like, well, I'm looking at it Mm -hmm. right outside my window. Now, after that, six minutes later, two other gendarmes encountered a similar object in, in a city, which was a few miles north of Yupin. And when the men saw the object, they were pretty scared. They thought it was an American aircraft. And a few minutes later, they watched as the, the craft transformed into a single beam of light and disappeared. Hmm. So I don't know if it actually changed shape or if it flew off so quickly that it just gave the appearance of a, of a straight beam of light. I would assume that's probably it. That that's it, what I'm thinking. It took off so quick, all the lights on it kind of melded into one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So all four sightings occurred within less than 20 miles and within one hour of each other. Mm-hmm. 11 other gendarmes and over 100 private citizens came forward the same day describing the same object. And over the next few months, hundreds more witnesses came forward describing a similar triangular object. So we move forward to March of 1990. Okay, Another wave of UFO sightings began, and dinner guests reported a strange series of lights in the sky near Brussels. 30 miles away, a NATO tracking station found an unknown object at the same place where the dinner guests saw it. They were unable to identify what kind of aircraft was in the skies over Belgium, so two Belgian Air Force F-16s immediately were sent out to locate the object. Okay, So 
let's look at this. This is probably the most dramatic of all the events associated with this. Now, they were kind of informally on alert because of all the other UFO reports in the media. So these two fighter planes from Beshoven Air Force Base were sent up when a number of reports from local gendarmes came in saying that odd lights were in the sky that looked like stars but changed color. Controllers on the ground advised the pilots where to go based on sporadic radar contacts. So they were picking this thing up on radar, so, but not very well. Right, right. Little blips here and there. Right. Now, the pilots would get intermittent contact with the objects, but they appeared and disappeared, moved up and down too fast, and including appearing to go underground. Now, the objects went from 7,000 feet to 10,000 feet, all the way down to just 500 feet. Mm-hmm. And they also it could accelerate to 990 knots. Now, that's, that's more than the speed fast. of sound. Yeah, that yeah. one and a half times or something like that. Yeah. So that fast of a speed and the descent that quickly would have killed a human pilot. Yep. In a, in a normal aircraft, they'd have been dead. Yeah. And, and strangely... Even though this aircraft supposedly broke the sound barrier, no one on the ground reported hearing a sonic boom. Which have you ever heard a sonic boom? Mm-hmm. I yeah, have. It you don't. It it's not a mistaken thing. No, you don't. Was that a sonic boom I just heard? No, you know. Yeah, it if wasn't it's close it, enough. You know, it's not like a. Buh. It's like yeah. a, and it shakes everything around and yeah. There's a big crack before it, like a whack, and then yeah. boom, it's yeah, crazy. I mean, it's it's. I mean, you know, they don't they don't usually break the sound barrier over like urban areas. No, you no, know, it's, heavily populated areas. You're not gonna you, you don't you don't see that. But it's actually against I've, the law. Before, I think in yeah, it is most <laughs> most areas. Um, but but you know, I've I've been to you know plenty of places that were wide open mm-hmm. and you catch you catch a plane that you know boom you know there yep. it goes and you're like holy cow yeah <laughs> yeah it's kind of cool actually now the pilots reportedly never saw anything okay all the evidence was recorded on radar now sobeps which was the organization that was charged with investigating this reported that they obtained radar lock on the target nine times. The, the Belgian military only reports three, but either way it locked on something. Yeah. So even if it was just once there was something out there physical for them to be able to lock their radar on. Mm hmm. The other contacts were all found to be the result of well-known interf- uh, atmospheric interference called Bragg scattering. Now, Bragg scattering is described as this. In airspace surveillance radar, this effect becomes more disturbing. Random sequences of inhomogeneities. That's a hard word. <laughs> yep. Can't help you with that one. 
Okay. So random sequences of weird stuff uh, <laughs> in the air, in the air density can produce so-called clear air echoes. And these are referred to as, quote, angels and can cause false alarms. So essentially what it's saying is these pilots could get radar lock on an air anomaly. And on the radar, they they appear as blips with this little tail. So it, it, it does appear to be an anomaly because the shape is unfamiliar. But they say for the most part, when they see that, they know that's what's going on. So this look, this is way above my pay grade. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't understand this stuff. I'm sure we have listeners that do and could explain it better. But, you know, all, all you really need to know is that not all the radar locks that they reported were on an actual physical thing. Yep. You know, they can apparently lock this radar onto these anomalies. It's so far above my pay grade that you said brag scattering. And I thought that was when somebody went into a room full of people and just started throwing brags out at people. Like yeah. you hear, I was really good at this. Oh, Hey, I can also kick a ball over a, 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 a freight train. Oh, did you hear that? You start name dropping and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. That's oh, I had lunch today with Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. That's brag scattering to me. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Scatter them all over the place. Yeah. That's what I have to do. I mean, it, it increases my cred. You know, you just go in and you say, Hey, I do a podcast. People are like, Okay, loser. But if you go in and you start throwing out brags of, hey, I met this guy back when I, you know, back in the day and I met that guy, then they're like, oh, hey, you're not as stupid as we first thought you were. You know, what's funny is telling people that you have a podcast is almost like to this point, telling people that you wear shoes. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> really? Yeah, so do I. And my mom has one and, and my eight year old daughter has, I mean, okay. Yeah, I mean it. It's everywhere now. But no, but we've anyway. been doing it for five years. No, yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, we've been doing this a minute. No. So then, Chief Operations of the Air Staff, uh, General Wilfred D. Brower, who uh, he offered his account to investigative reporter Leslie Keene for her 2010 book, UFOs. Generals, pilots, and government officials go on record. Quite a title. Mm -hmm. um, he said his initial belief was that the American military must have been testing some sort of experimental aircraft over his country. Now, he went as far as to file inquiries with the U.S. Embassy in Brussels, prompting the Americans to create a memo which was titled Belgium and the UFO Issue. It sounds, oh. sounds like a Hardy Boys mystery. It, it does. It really does. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the the memo was they created a memo. Don't tell the Belgians about our plane. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was just basically like, uh, yeah. What are we? What are we gonna? How are we gonna? How are we gonna word this? Yeah. Just yeah. say it's 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 Belgium and uh, and the UFO thing. Yeah. Any okay. UFO that, issue that, that worked. Yep. But that that memo uh, confirmed that, quote, no United States Air Force stealth aircrafts were operating in the area during the periods in question, unquote. 
Did it, though? Well, I was going to say, or you think they're just going to come up and go, uh, yeah, we had Got some it. experimental aircraft flying around. And the What's embassy, the embassy asked them and they're like, yeah, yeah. it's like, yeah, we, we were ordered to secrecy about our top yeah. secret black ops planes, but we'll tell you. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. I've, I've learned enough from watching movies that if I'm ever in trouble in another country, going to the embassy is not going to help. <laughs> no. I mean, you know, that it's, you know, look in a movie every time somebody gets in trouble in another country, they're like, oh, we got to get to the embassy. Well, like that's like like that's base in this enormous game of hide and seek or something. I'm like, it's yep. not you know, you watch enough movies, you realize uh, that's not you. That's not going to help. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to be waiting for you there because they think you're dumb enough to actually go there. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> yeah. They can't do anything once you get inside the gate, but they won't let you get inside the gate. And that's the that's problem. Right. <laughs> you got to be Jason Bourne to get past them and into the embassy. Yeah, You better learn to pole vault. Yeah, right. <laughs> or fly or hitch a ride on one of these UFOs or something. Yeah. Now, an officer on base, Major, uh, Major Lambrix, wrote a chronological journal that can be found online, and it detailed the study um, written by Officer Cadet Gilmard of the Belgian Royal Military Academy under the direction of Major Salmon of the Electronic Warfare Center. Did you get all that? Uh, <laughs> all the titles and names and stuff? I think I um, did. So anyway, so Limbricks wrote this chronological journal and Officer Cadet Gilmard wrote a detailed study of, uh, of the UFOs under the direction of this Major Salmon of the... Uh, or it could be Salmon. I'm just so geared to say Salmon hmm. um, of the Electronic Warfare Center. Right. So the the Gilmard Salmon report is classified, and no skeptical researchers were ever able to obtain a copy. But we do know that it found Angel Echoes, which I discussed earlier, to be the only interesting thing in the air that night. Because um, Meeson included bits from it in his second edition of the Sopeps book. So, this gets better. <laughs> this is where it gets weird, okay? So, yeah. you've got all these reports, you know, that are, we're going to have this detailed study about the, the UFOs. We're going to write a chronological journal of all of the sightings and everything. And then you're going to have this Gilmard Salmon report that's going to come out and go, uh, there wasn't anything but Angel Echoes. That was yeah. it. There was nothing else. All of these people saw nothing else. Right. There was nothing else there. Didn't that Gilmard guy have a TV show or something, the Gilmard Girls? Oh, yeah, yeah. I love that show. Yeah, great, great. <laughs> uh, angels, the Gilmard's Angel Echoes yeah. and stuff. It was- <laughs> Gilmard Angels. He was like a Belgian mil- uh, millionaire <laughs> yeah. that had these three female spies that he would send right. on missions, you know? Right. And he called each one of them Echo. That was yeah. a call sign. Yeah. So they were the Echo Angels. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you and I can drag a bad joke out. I'm telling you, just, we, we kill it. We can drive it in the ground. We can <laughs> dig a hole and bury it. 
Put a tombstone on it. Still going. <laughs> Call it Still the going. graveyard. Come back a year later, put fresh flowers on it. Yep. So like I said, this is where the story gets weird. Now, according to anecdotal claims made by skeptical researchers who say they spoke with government scientists who were involved, there was a deal struck. The government would agree not to release the Gilmard Salmon Report publicly if Meeson would retract the claims he made in Sobep's first book. So soon afterwards, Sobep's published their second edition, which I mentioned uh, just a few minutes ago, which was called UFO Wave Over Belgium 2, the sequel. No. <laughs> yeah. I added the sequel. Um, in which Meeson reported figuring out, quote, on his own, that the radar reports were false angel signals and that the Gilmar Salmon report backed up his findings. Hmm. So they're they're backpedaling a little bit. Yeah. Yep. Because you got twenty six hundred UFO reports. At at some point you've got to be thinking everybody's gonna start panicking. I mean, this is a lot. And it's not the first time a government has backpedaled on something they've said about UFOs. Right. I mean, the biggest Biggest one that you ask anybody about and they're going to know is the Roswell thing. Oh, we got a UFO pieces. Oh, wait, no. Next day it's a. Yeah, no, they're not. Weather balloon. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like this is how it's, I, I do this every day. I deal with miniature versions of of the government in my house. <laughs> Son, what are you eating as he's chewing? Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. What's in your mouth? Nothing. Mm-hmm. See? See? Mm-hmm. I'm like. Yeah, what was really, it 10 you, seconds ago? Yeah. You really think I'm that stupid, right? Well, yeah. you know, honestly, <laughs> that's how the government treats us. Every, every government treats their people like that at some point in time. Right. You know, it's like right. you're go- you're just going to have to believe what we're telling you and shut up and move on. Mm-hmm. I mean, that just, it, just, it just happens. Nobody likes it. Um, but you know, it does, you know, it's right there. The evidence is right there looking at you in your face and they're going, it's not what you're seeing. Yeah. Half the time, half the time, you know, people just let it go and they forget about it. But then the other half the time you got stuff like this or Roswell where it's written down. I mean, you've got proof of it written down the, what they said the first time. And then you got the second time where they're like, uh, we didn't say that. Yeah. You're like, wait a minute. I've got an a article here that you wrote that says it was a UFO. Nobody knows what it is. No, we didn't write that. Okay. Yeah, we didn't write it. Okay. It's right is this your signature? Yeah, it's my signature, but I didn't write that. Yeah, I didn't. Somebody else did that. I, yeah, it's forgery. forgery. I was signing an autograph, and they put it on that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Because we like, had that technology back in 1989. Yeah. yeah. Well, like Zaphod Beeblebrock's. In uh, Hitchhiker's, Hitchhiker's Guide, Guide to the Guide. Galaxy. He thought he was signing an autograph, so he put love and kisses Zaphod, and it was the order to destroy Earth. <laughs> That's right. So- <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're kind of in a quandary here talking about the Belgian UFO wave because you've gone from 
the refreshing aspect of the Belgian government going, hey, everybody, we got some weird things flying over us. We've had a lot of reports. We're going to create um, a, an investigative group to look into this and figure out what exactly is going on. Whereas, you know, other governments are like, there's nothing to see here. Move along. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, but then for them to backtrack and go, nope, 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 we were wrong. This is all it was. We figured it out that that's what it was. That's an awful lot of that. And right. What can you see these false echoes from the ground? Do they have lights or something? Um, I mean, you know, people are sitting there staring at this and you're telling them it was just an air anomaly. I don't know. I'd be kind of irritated. Oh, yeah. Um, I'd, I'd be mad. And, and and also what what really what really hurts is the fact that there is no good photographic evidence. And we're going to get into the story of the most famous photograph of one of these crafts. But there's not any real photographic evidence. And so a lot of uh skeptics will say 2600 reports. It went on for 6 months and nobody got a photo of this. Right. Right. But then the the Sobeps came comes back and they say, well, there's probably a good reason for that. Um, you you see something in the sky, you're not really sure what it is. You think, well, maybe it's a star or it's a plane or whatever. And a couple of days later, you read a re- something in the newspaper about people seeing these, you know, UFOs. And so you begin to think back and you go. I bet that's what I saw. And you follow a report. So it it comes after, you know, it was seen and dismissed. So you're, you're not going to take a photo of it because you didn't really know what it was and you didn't really care at that time. But for people like these gendarmes who were, they were caught off guard that first night. I mean, truthfully, and I mean, we're, we're talking about 1989, 1990. You, everybody wasn't toting around a camera all the time like they right. are now. Right. There wasn't surveillance cameras on every light pole. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it just, it wasn't there. It, people just didn't do that. Um, now, were there people running around with cameras standing out in the Belgian countryside, hoping one of these things would fly over the top of them so they could get a picture of it? I'm sure there were. Yep. But nobody got a decent one. So that, that it works against this story for the people that are really gung ho about this is exactly what happened. There were all these UFOs over Belgium during these six months. For sure, without a doubt, not having any kind of photograph, it it hurts it. But I don't think it completely dismisses it. No, because the the people that want the photographic evidence are the ones that say you can't trust eyewitness accounts. Okay, I'll give you that. If you got one person telling you something, then you can yeah. say, okay, I... I kind of believe you. I kind of don't because maybe you did, uh, you know, your brain twisted something, whatever. I Okay, I'll, I'll give you that. However, you've got hundreds of sightings of described as the exact same thing. 
And a lot of times with the gendarmeria, um, they're in, they were in pairs, yeah. seeing the thing as a you know two people seeing the same thing at the same time, yeah, and describing it the exact same way. So I I I, I put more credence in this than I would just a solo observation of it because it's so many describing mm-hmm. the exact same thing. And if they were all just making it up, it would vary so much more widely than it does. Yeah, I agree. All right, let's take a minute and talk about one of tonight's sponsors, Every Plate. Now, for those of you who listen to the show routinely, you know that Adam and I are huge fans of HelloFresh. Well, HelloFresh also owns Every Plate. Mm -hmm. And... Every plate is such a tremendous value, but you're like, hey, Matt, what, what is all this? So what is every plate? Well, every plate is a meal delivery service where they send you recipes with fresh ingredients, exactly what you need to make a fantastic dinner that everybody is going to enjoy. And you not only get great food, you get a great value, and that's why every plate is America's best value meal kit. So, as I said, every plate del- delivers pre-portioned ingredients, and that's important because you don't wind up with a lot of waste. And that recipe cards are easy to follow, and they come right to your door. So you can spend less time prepping and cooking and spend more time enjoying great food. That's right. And while most meal kits come with a premium price tag, every plate offers tasty dinners that won't break the bank. Even at full price, every plate is 50% cheaper than grocery shopping, making it easy to save money. And that's a big thing, Matt. We, you and I have talked about that. I hate grocery shopping. Oh, yeah. And it's the worst. when we don't have every plate coming or, or something like that, then we're going once, sometimes twice a week. I mean, you're lucky if you only go once a week. You you oh, yeah. planned it out, figured it out. But for most of us, we go several times a week. You don't have to worry about that with every plate because you just pick the meals that you want and they send them to your door and everything's right there. You just put it in the fridge and then when you're ready to make it, pull it out and start making it. And you and I have talked a lot, Matt, about our kids. Our kids love doing these meals with us. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because not only do they they know it's going to be a good meal and it's something they're going to like, but they also get a hand in helping. Because one of the biggest problems with having kids help you is watching them to make sure they get the right amount of salt or sage or whatever in the meal. Well, every plate, they just open the packet and put it in there. Or they have the right amount right there. You don't have to worry. You just say, put that in there and mix it. And they can do it. And it's great. They they feel better about the meal after that. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I can't stand is you find a recipe that you want to try, and there's always one or two ingredients that you're not going to have on hand. Mm-hmm. And it's probably something that you're not going to use, like a, a specific seasoning or something like that, that you're going to have to buy for one recipe and it's going to sit in your cupboard forever with every plate you're going to get that ingredient that you need and you're going to get the amount that you need for that particular recipe 
so uh, there's no waste. Yeah. There's there's none of that where you're like two years later you go, why did we buy this whatever? This canooner sauce. It, <laughs> yeah, it's it's old now. We got to pitch it out. Well, we've wasted that that product and the money. Every plate you don't got to worry about that. Exactly, and. With every plate, you can choose between 17 recipes that change each week. You can swap proteins, veggies, and sides to your liking, which, I mean, you're basically picking your whole meal that way. You just pick your meal, and then they'll send it to you, yeah. and it's great. Now, if you want to try every plate, and, and you want to get on this every plate boat like Matt and I, all you got to do is go to everyplate.com and enter our code GRAVEYARD179, and you'll get each meal at $1.79 per meal. That's right. Graveyard Tells listeners can get started with every plate for just $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering our promo code GRAVEYARD179. That's G-R-A-V-E-Y-A-R-D-179. And you can find out why every plate is America's number one value meal kit. And I'll, I'd say, add a, add a caveat to what you said about eyewitness accounts. You can't believe all eyewitness accounts. Right, right. Okay? Because I guarantee you, out of 2,600 reports, there's probably at, at least 75% of them are not this. They didn't see this. They may have thought they saw it, mm-hmm. but at that point, they were probably wanting to see it. Anything they saw flying above was this. Okay. Now that's not mass hysteria. That's just, I, I, that's me too ism. I want to be there. I want to see it. What is that over there? Right. That's got to be it. Look, well, it's too far away, but look at it. That doesn't look like a plane to you, does it, George? Yeah. You know, I can just hear that conversation happening or whatever a common name in Belgium would be. Um, but, so I would say the majority of those reports, you could probably just wash away. Mm-hmm. And to be completely honest with you, as far as this story goes, you could take everything that happened after uh, November 29th and you could chuck it in a river. I think just with that one night, this is a, this is a fantastic story. Sure. Because yep. like you said, we're talking about pairs of gendarmes, police officers, federal yep. police officers who all reported the same thing within an hour of one another. Right. Okay. These right. are not going to be people that are going to do this. And even though their dispatcher may have thought they were pulling a prank, you know, he, he quickly figured out, no, they're seeing something. I don't know what mm-hmm. it is, yep. but what they're describing, I just saw pass by my window twice okay Mm -hmm. so one person seeing the same thing twice two people seeing the same thing and reporting the same thing i tend to believe that now again i don't know what they saw but i believe they saw something and i believe they saw something that was triangular shaped and had bright lights i mean that's pretty hard to i mean it's not like it was some weird shape they couldn't describe um Mm -hmm. so i think they saw something Right. We don't know what. And I don't know what all these other citizens saw, but I would say the reports that the citizens gave 
from November 29th are probably of the exact same thing that these police officers saw. Probably so. But like you said, you gotta, you'll have to throw some of those out, some of those reports out, because just like in missing person investigation, okay, they, they put out a bulletin that they're looking for a woman that she's five, eight, blonde hair, blue eyes, whatever. Call this number if you have seen her. They can get hundreds of calls and they have to go investigate all of these. But 99 out of 100 of them was not this person that they're looking for. Mm. It was either somebody that looked like them or it wasn't anything. It was just somebody false flagging, you know, and throwing a red herring out there or something. Yeah. And so you, you will have a portion of. Of that 2,600 sightings that was reported that are not going to be true. Like you said, they're going to be somebody wanting to see it. And so then calling in to say they've seen it to be in the group with everybody else. But out of that many of them, you're going to have probably quite a few legit ones. Oh, yeah. And like you said, starting with the the police officer ones, those are those are the ones that a, it started it off, and B, probably the most credible of all the sightings we've got. Yeah. So, Adam, we've we've given you the sightings. We've given you, you know, the history. What do you think these things could have been? I mean, they're obviously UFOs. They're flying. They're unidentified. Right. They're UFOs. But were they alien spacecraft? And so that well, that's when you really you, you really got to try to to bridge a gap here, and there's quite a few explanations of what they could have been. Right, I was going to say I, I think there's one thing that I'm leaning heavily toward, but I'll save that for the third one. So let's look at three different explanations of what's happening here. Now the first one, um. It comes from the Bad UFOs blog, and it talks about that picture that Matt mentioned. So let's look at the hoax aspect of this. Now, this says one big problem with the Belgian wave has always been the lack of photos or movies showing the object, despite hundreds of claimed sightings. Indeed, Keen, this the person in this article that we're talking about, um, seeks to dismiss the lack of evidence by noting that, quote, 20 years ago, cell phones and relatively inexpensive consumer level digital and video cameras were not yet in use, like Matt and I were saying. Mm-hmm. And this says true, but film cameras were plentiful and widespread. But again, like Matt and I were saying, n- not many people are going to be out there. Probably you got a camera. Sure, it's widespread, but think back to the 80s and early 90s. How many of us had a camera? And if you did, it was this big shoulder thing that you had to lug yeah, around yeah, like a video a, camera. Yeah, they yeah. were expensive. Mm-hmm. And um and and not something you would just carry around with you. Exactly. But even like a little point and shoot uh thirty five millimeter camera, you you didn't necessarily always carry that with you. No, because they were expensive and you didn't want to take it in your car and drop it or something. And and you had to have film 
And mm-hmm. most of the time you took a camera when you thought I'm going to be taking these pictures, you know, right. I'm going, I'm going to a party. I'm, I'm going, you know, to, to do something. I, I I'm going to want to take some photographs of this. So you take mm-hmm. your camera. If you're just out and about, you, you don't necessarily have a camera with you. Not right not then. I didn't right. know anybody that carried a camera with them all the time. Um, no. Unless, you know, they were like a photographer. Sure. But, yep. I mean, so, so I mean, they there's, were, there is some legitimacy to, as to why there is not a, a ton of photo and video evidence. Right. They were widespread, but it wasn't common to keep them on you. Um, now, this goes on to say that, indeed, only one photo claiming to show this supposed triangular craft has ever been seen. It was said to have been taken in uh, Petit Rochon, Belgium, in April 1990 by a 20-year-old man known only as Patrick, although it was not released until four months later. The Belgium UFO investigative group SOBEPS investigated the photo and found it to be authentic. So did many other experts, Keen writes. Yeah. And Patrick at first only showed this picture to one other person, which was his best friend, SpongeBob. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Now, there's a quote from Keene. It says, a team under the direction of Professor Mark Archeroy uh, discovered that a triangle, triangular shape became visible when overexposing the slide. After that, the original color slide was further analyzed by Frangois... Louange, um, specialist in satellite imagery with French National Space Research Center, CNES, Um, Dr. Richard Haynes, former senior scientist with NASA, and finally, Professor Andre Marion, doctor in nuclear physics and professor at the University of Paris, uh, Paris Sud, and also with CNES, end quote. Now, UFO skeptics have long supplied reasons why this photo is not credible. For one thing, it shows nothing in the background to allow its size or distance to be ascertained. It could as easily be a tiny model seen close up as a giant hovering craft. In the 1990s, the Belgian skeptic Wynne van Ertek showed that the photo could easily be reproduced using a small model. In a recent issue of Tim Prenti's Webzine Sunlight, an article by Roger Packway notes several inconsistencies about the photo. Now we have a confession. The Belgian news organization RTL is reporting that the hoaxer has given his, quote, mea culpa and now lifts the veil. The reporter interviewed this Patrick guy in his home where he showed them many slides and prints. The news report says, quote, the UFO of Petit Rachon is now... Uh, is not a spaceship from a distant galaxy, but a panel of painted styrofoam with three spots affixed. Quote, one has managed to fool the whole world with a silly model made of styrofoam. So, the Patrick guy who had the photo originally apparently came out and said that his photo was faked, Mm -hmm. which a lot of people thought from the beginning. But, that is one photo... And it's the, but it's the one photo. Yeah. It, it's I mean, the one photo we have. The but, one, the one piece of evidence you got, you find out was, was a hoax, you know, 30 years later. Yeah. 
But is he out there with a styrofoam triangle um, lighting up fields with it for the police? You know what I mean? So just because that one photo is fake, to me, it doesn't negate the sightings of these officers. Right. Yeah, they saw something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just didn't get and a then photo. He, then he created this after the description of what these police officers saw. Right. So, so that that photograph, that photograph came out in just before the the March nineteen ninety wave of sightings. So it was just. It was just about a month. It was like February of, of 1990 was when that photo was released. So you could you could potentially say that 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 March 1990 um, time frame, which was the the last big wave of sightings, was influenced by that photo. Yeah, but only to a degree. Sure. Yeah. I mean. You may see something up there and and make an assumption that what you're seeing is the same triangular craft that was seen back in November, but now you've got something in your head. You've mm-hmm. got an image in your head and you're gonna you're gonna wanna believe it more. Sure. But I'm sure, just like we said with the other ones, um, some people actually saw something legit. Other people right. just thought they did. Well, and you can, let, let's go just so far as to say, okay, the faked photo that we have did spur the second wave of sightings. Okay. But the photo did not spur the first wave of sightings. Right. The first wave of sightings spurred the photo. Mm-hmm. Correct. So you can't, because of that photo, discount any of the first sightings. If you want to discount the whole March 1990 sightings, okay, fine. But November of 89, how do you disprove that? Right. The way you try to disprove that is this next one here. This is from a PDF file from uh, Reynaud uh leclet probably not how it's pronounced but uh that's the best i can do um it's entitled the belgian ufo wave of 89 through 92 a neglected hypothesis now i'm gonna i'll preface this whole article by saying the whole time i was reading this i i had an issue with it we'll discuss it at the end but I added this in because this is people have pointed to this explanation many times to try and debunk it. So we got to talk about it, though. I think he debunks himself. He debunks his debunking within the debunking. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But he's, he becomes the debunky as he's the debunker. Yep, exactly. So we'll get into it. Now, it says, on October 4th, 1992, around 6.45 p.m., a man and his wife were driving their car between Moronsart and Waterloo. The sun had set, and there was much wind. The driver noticed a strange, yellowish, luminous point located directly in line with the road. 
It seemed motionless and large, more or less the size of a full moon. At this place, the road begins to go down and the object disappeared behind the horizon. The driver decided to leave his usual road to take another one going to the place where the object had disappeared. He explained why to his wife and a little further, they saw the light that then appeared to them as integrated in a vast, dark and elongated unit where they could make out a tail and even ailerons. But the object speed was so slow that it could not be a plane. Finally, the two witnesses drove then very slowly um, and decided to stop for better observing. The object that revealed only a grayish and fuzzy structure as drowned in the fog carried on moving slowly and noiselessly. The initial light seemed now to be on the side of the structure and looked like a broad, elongated picture window brightly lit from inside. The driver somehow felt a, quote, presence behind this window. Under the structure, there was a flashing red light. The driver's initial anxiety, perhaps triggered by the dreams full of flying saucers that it had made uh, for 10 years, gave way to a peaceful feeling, quote, it's, it is only that, he thought. A painter with a higher education, he drew very precisely what he had seen. Now, his sighting, illustrated by his sketch, was published in Sobep's magazine, where without the least hesitation, the investigator and the editors built a beautiful UFO case. We, however, only have to look at the picture with some hindsight to realize that it obviously represents a helicopter. Of course, the absence of noise seems strange, but every one of us uh, had the opportunity during his life to realize that a weak wind blowing in the opposite direction in some, is sometimes enough for weakening or even masking completely a loud noise. Now, on that day, there was a violent wind. It is clearly specified at the very beginning of the report, and it, it is lucky because, as we shall see, um, so Bep's field investig investigations seldom give indications on this essential element that very often makes it possible to explain a complete absence of noise. Now, the author is using this example and others in the documents to say that all the sightings were of military helicopters that were misidentified. Now, I know that there are quite a few cases where the misidentification happens, mm -hmm. but those that saw the UFO initially, the police contacted the military bases nearby, and they said there were no maneuvers happening in the area. The office uh, or the author asked later in this paragraph if Sobeps contacted the military to see if there was any helicopters in the area. Um, and he says, well, uh, they didn't, but actually the police did. So he kind of, you know, if you're going to write something debunking and say they just saw military helicopters and that nobody contacted the military to see if they were doing any maneuvers when they obviously did, the, the dispatch that the officers called, called military bases to double check and see if there was anything in the area. And they said, no, no right. helicopters in the area. Helicopters are not an odd thing. So they wouldn't have to hide this. Right. Yeah. There would be so, no reason for the military to lie at this point. Right. And I understand that 
if you're if you and I are out in a field and you're on one side of the field and I'm on the other and I'm trying to talk to you, if the wind is blowing from my back, then, yeah, it will carry my voice to you. But Mm. if it's blowing from your back, it may blow my voice away. Right. Because I'm not I don't have enough decibels that I can produce to overcome that difference. Mm -hmm. But a helicopter, as close as this witness is saying they were to it, you would at least hear a dull thudding Mm -hmm. somewhere. And you would know, okay, even with a, a strong wind blowing, you would hear it at some point. Yeah. But what what bothers me about this is that he he's taken one particular account and debunking yep. that. But the thing is, and then saying it debunks everything else. Yeah. So you you couldn't have had a violent wind every single day from November 29th through April of ninety to right. prevent people from hearing the sound of a helicopter. Right. I mean, you can't dismiss all of those reports based on it, they couldn't hear that it was a helicopter. I mean, that and over, just, that's not going to fit. And over 2,600 people don't know what a helicopter looks like. Right. I mean, I'd say most everybody. But I, I love that when he says, now, you know, we've what we've all had the opportunity to see that, you know, you could see a helicopter and not hear it because of the wind. Mm-hmm. I don't know that everybody's had that opportunity. I mean, I've had w- growing up, we were close enough to Fort Campbell and we were kind of in a flight path that there was stuff flying over our house all the time. Let me tell you something. An Apache helicopter going over your house, it will rattle the windows. Yep. Okay. Not even trying to. I mean, it thing wasn't even going that fast. I mean, we saw them all the time. You know, the windows would shake. I mean, you could hear it in the, you were in the basement. You could hear it. Mm-hmm. So it's going to it take a daggum hurricane to prevent us from hearing that. Right. Right. So I don't believe, you know, I don't, I understand how it works. I understand that it could happen depending on how far away you were from it. But I don't think it happened every single time. Right. That's the thing. He's, he's taking a Sobeps report from 92 and then saying that this explains exactly what happened in November of 89 and uh, March and April of 90. Yeah. When none of that was described, what he's describing wasn't what they described in 89 and 90. But this is pointed to it and he He's using that one instance to debunk all the rest. Yeah. And other other articles make mention that the night of November 29th was a clear night. So mm-hmm. it wasn't like real cloudy or stormy or anything. It was just a regular night. So the officers were going to be able to see whatever it was fairly well. And hear anything. And, and hear. And th- that's the thing. Um, you know, it didn't make a lot of noise. You know, there were, it was it was fairly silent. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, I mean, you know, it, if it was a helicopter and on a calm, clear night, you're you're gonna hear it. You know, yeah. If any aircraft like that, you're gonna hear it. Right, right. Now, 
I don't believe that all witnesses saw a helicopter and misidentified it, obviously. But I do want to take number three here and touch on something that it could have been that was not a UFO. And that's the TR-3B. If you know what the TR-3B is, you just went, oh, hey, yeah. <laughs> or I've been thinking that the whole time yeah. when you described it. Yeah. Especially our 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 military guys that listen to the show. They're, they're going, uh, yeah, it sounds like this. Right. Right. So let's look at the TR-3B. And I've known about this for several years, but there's a few things in here that I didn't know that I'll talk about at the end. Um, now this, the first part is from military.com and it says it doesn't exist officially, but it uses high pressured mercury accelerated, uh, mercury accelerated by nuclear energy to produce a plasma that creates a field of anti-gravity around the ship. Conventional thrusters located at the tips of the craft allow it to perform all manner of rapid high speed maneuvers along all three axes. Interestingly, the plasma generated also reduces radar signatures significantly, so it'll be almost invisible on a radar and remain undetected. This literally means that it can go to any country it likes without being detected by air traffic control and air defense systems. Yep. So if this is what it is. That's how it got into Belgium without being detected. And, and what shape is it, Adam? All right, so the it, it it's a giant black triangle with three lights, one on each tip, and sometimes one in the center. Yeah. So just exactly like we've been talking about, just <laughs> yeah, just exactly like the witnesses saw, almost identical. Yep. Basically, that thing in the picture behind Matt's head is what we're yeah, talking about. This is it. Yeah, behind us. It's what it looks like. Now, this next little bit comes from the Event Chronicle. Go check the link in the sources um, for the Event Chronicle uh, website because there's some cool pictures and video on there that you're going to want to see. Um, I'll post one of the pictures on Patreon when it comes up um, to this episode. But it says the TR-3B is codenamed Astra. The tactical reconnaissance TR-3B first operational flight was in the early 90s. The triangular-shaped nuclear-powered aerospace platform was developed under the top-secret Aurora program with SDI and black-budget monies. At least three of the billion-dollar-plus TR-3Bs were flying by 1994. Aurora is the most classified aerospace development program in existence. The TR-3B is the most exotic vehicle created by the Aurora program. It is funded and operationally tasked by the National Reconnaissance Office, the NSA, and the CIA. The TR-3B Flying Triangle is not fiction, and it was built with technology available in the mid-80s. Not every UFO spotted is one of theirs. So it's saying that not every... UFO that you see is a is something from outer space. Right. Now, Matt, I'm jumping in here into the article because I want to say that I just had a huge case of deja vu. 
like we've done this whole thing before. <laughs> really? We, the, yeah, I, I legitimately I was reading the thing and I was like, I've read this to you before and I look over at the screen and I see you taking a drink with the TR3B behind you. And I'm like, we've done this before. Yep. We have not done this before. We have but, not done this before. No, but I just huge case of deja vu. So I had to throw that in there. I'm, I'm not saying that we wouldn't forget that we had done something, but I don't yeah. think we would forget this. <laughs> no. And not everything would have been exactly the same either. Right. We can't replicate ourselves that well. Now, this goes on to say that the TR3B vehicle's outer coating is reactive to electrical radar stimulation and can change reflectiveness, radar absorbativeness, and color. This polymer skin, when used in conjunction with the TR3B's electronic countermeasures and ECCM, can make the vehicle look like a small aircraft or a flying cylinder or even trick radar receivers into falsely detecting a variety of aircraft, no aircraft, or several aircraft at various locations. A circular plasma-filled accelerator ring called the magnetic field disruptor surrounds the uh, rotatable crew compartment and is far ahead of any imaginable technology. So that's saying that it can change the signature seen on a radar Mm -hmm. to where it doesn't look like the triangle craft. It can look like a regular plane or multiple planes or Or a duck. An angel echo. Uh, Yep, or an angel echo. Now, I'm going to skip some into the article, skip ahead a little further. Um, Says the TR-3B is a high-altitude stealth reconnaissance platform with an indefinite loiter time. So it means it can just hang out for however late. It doesn't have doesn't have to get back and yeah. refuel. It it can park right outside of a 7-Eleven and ask people to bite beer as they walk in. Yep. Indefinitely. <laughs> That's what I think of when I hear it it can it has an indefinite loiter time. <laughs> yep. It's like my buddy in high school. That's all he did. And just hung out trying to get beer and cigarettes from people outside the 7-Eleven. Look, my my cousin used to tell a story about, I, I'm pretty sure he was in Texas when this happened, because that's where he went to school. Um, he said there was a sign at a convenience store that said, no loitering. And then in parentheses underneath it, it said, standing around. <laughs> yeah. For all you people that don't know what loitering yep. means. Because you didn't go to school, to, you were loitering here, so you didn't learn what loitering meant. So Standing around. That sounds about right. Now, so it, it's got an, an indefinite loiter time, and it says once you get it up, up there at speed, it doesn't take much propulsion to maintain altitude. At Groom Lake... There have been whispers, uh, whispered rumors of a new element that acts as a catalyst to the plasma. Groom Lake, you know where Groom Lake mm-hmm. is, Matt, right? Yep. If you if you're listening and you don't know where Groom Lake is, it's right there around Area 51. It's what they call it, Groom Lake. So there's no lake there, yeah. um, but that's just their name for it. Yeah. Now. It says with the vehicle mass, because of uh, of the elements, um, the vehicle mass is reduced by 89%. The craft can travel at Mach 9 vertically or horizontally. 
This says their sources say the performance is limited only to the stresses that the human pilot can endure. And this is a lot because considering along with the 89% reduction in mass, the G forces are also reduced by 89%. So if you reduce the G forces on a body by 89%, you can pull that many more G's. Right. So when we were talking about it before and Matt said it went from 9,000 feet down to 500 feet and it was traveling at however many thousands of miles per hour, um, you know, one and a half times the speed of sound. If it were this craft and 89%, uh, the, the, the mass was reduced by 89%. Well, then they could keep up. And it says the whole, we just read that the whole crew compartment is stationary while everything else moves around it. So if it's taking these hard turns, the crew inside might not be moving at all. Now, this goes on to say that the TR-3B's propulsion is provided by three multi-mode thrusters mounted at each bottom corner of the triangular platform. The TR-3 is a sub-Mach 9 vehicle until it reaches altitudes above 120,000 feet. Then, God knows how fast it can go. Mm-hmm. The three multi-mode rocket engines mounted under each corner of the craft use hydrogen or methane and oxygen as a propellant in a liquid oxygen hydrogen rocket system 85 percent of the propellant uh, mass is oxygen the nuclear thermal rocket engine uses a hydrogen propellant augmented with oxygen for additional thrust the reactor heats the liquid hydrogen and injects liquid oxygen into the supersonic nozzle so that the hydrogen burns concurrently in the liquid oxygen afterburner the multi-mode propulsion system can operate uh in the atmosphere with thrust provided by the nuclear reactor in the upper atmosphere with hydrogen propulsion and in orbit with the combined hydrogen oxygen propulsion. So that's saying that no matter where it's at, it, it has a propulsion system that it can use. So it can even go into orbit around the earth and still be able to maneuver. So this, Goes on to say, what you have to remember is that the three rocket engines only have to propel 11% of the mass of the top secret TR-3B. The engines are reportedly built by Rockwell. Uh, Many sightings of triangular UFOs are not alien vehicles, but the top secret TR-3B. The NSA, NRO, CIA, and USAF have been playing a shell game with aircraft nomenclature, creating the tr 3 modified to the TR-3A, the TR-3B, and to the Tier 2, 3, and 4 with suffixes like plus or minus added on to confuse further the fact that each of these designators is a different aircraft and not the same aerospace vehicle. A TR-3B is as different from a TR-3A as a banana is from a grape. Some of these vehicles are manned and others are unmanned. All right, Matt. So it it's February, and in February you're always wanting to treat the person that you love, right? It, it's it's the month of love and candy and giving to your significant other. Well, you know, here's the thing: 
you deserve just as much love as they do. And one of the best ways you can treat yourself is by taking a mental spa day and playing Best Fiends. Because it's a great break from all the stresses of everyday life and work and everything. Just hop into Best Fiends. And like I always say, Best Fiends is like a box of chocolates. Now, I've actually never said that, but I think I'm going to start saying that now. (laughs) And the reason is because Best Fiends will never disappoint you. And chocolate has never disappointed me. So you see the tie-in there? You see see where I'm going with that? Except when you get those that you're not sure what's in the middle and you eat it and it's like, oh, toothpaste. That's true. That's true. But (laughs) Best Fiends has no toothpaste-flavored chocolates, so we're good on that. Yeah. And Best Fiends is great when you just got to have a break and recharge for a minute. Not think about work or school or all the stresses of the day just take that 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 mental break and play best fiends and the coolest thing about it is you can play it anywhere i mean i i'm standing in line um waiting you know just like uh, i hate waiting in line for anything i know that i can always pull out my phone and play best fiends even if i'm in a bad service area mm-hmm. because it doesn't rely on the internet that's great yeah, so you know, I I get into I'm I'm somewhere in the four hundreds now. Uh, Amanda is way beyond me. Same um, with Ashley. Yep. But what is so cool is a lot of times games like this they get old. It's the same routine. But Best Fiends is always fresh. There's always something new to do, and they'll have some special challenge where you can go oh hey i can i can start doing these special challenge levels and you know get some cool rewards find some new fiends and you know it's valentine's hug a slug there you go (laughs) i I don't want to hug a slug i'd I'd rather destroy the slugs but you know to each their own yeah so if you want to find a way to share something fun with your valentine this month you can download Best Fiends free today on the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. That's right. If you're ready to give your brain a little TLC that it deserves, you can download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. Remember, that's friends without the R, Best Fiends. It all becomes apparent in Belgium, where after frequent sightings of flying lights and mid-air near-miss by UFOs, um, at one point, Belgian Air Force, anxious to identify the origin of the phenomena, authorized F-16 scrambles under the condition that the visual observations on the ground were confirmed by the local police and detection on the radar. One of the consequences of such a decision was that on the 31st of March, 1990, at um, 005 hour, so that would be 1205, um, two F-16s were scrambled from um, Bovachain Air Base and guided towards the radar contacts. A total of nine interception attempts have been made that night. On six occasions, the pilots established a lock-on with the air interception radar. 
Lock-on distances varied between 5 and 8 nautical miles. Um, On all occasions, targets varied speed and altitude very quickly, and brake locks occurred after 10 to 60 seconds. Speeds varied between 150 and 1,010 knots. On three occasions, both F-16s registered simultaneous lock-ons with the same parameters. The two F-16s were flying approximately two nautical miles apart. Owing to the night conditions, no visual contact could be established by either of the F-16 pilots. So that's a lot to take in. Mm -hmm. But it's basically, and I've got a schematic um, for it, and that's the schematic that I'll put in Patreon. But it's the one I showed you before we started, Matt. And apparently there is a patent now uh, publicly out there for the TR-3B aircraft. Um, it's something that UFO investigators and researchers have been talking about for at least a decade, maybe many decades. Right. Um, as to an explanation for some of these UFOs. So you may have heard researchers talking about it for many years, but apparently now it's come out that, yep, it exists and the military does have it. So my question then, Matt, is... Are, do you lean as much to the thought that it could have been a TR-3B in Belgium airspace in 89? Um, and obviously, the, the U.S. military, CIA, and all that is going to say, no, it, mm-hmm. we don't have anything there because brand new, and they're testing it out, and they wanted to see if they could get it in Belgian airspace. Belgium not an enemy of the United States. So it's not going to create a world war by sneaking into a military um, area that are our enemies, our foes. Right. And then they find out, Oh, that's the U S if they had found out it was us, it's Belgium. I mean, they're probably yell at us for not telling them we're doing maneuvers there, but it's not going to start a war like it would if we went somewhere else. Right. So it's a safe spot to test this out to see if they can get in and under radar and all that. What what are your thoughts on that? I'm leaning to I think this is highly, highly possible. Yeah. Um, Honestly, my thoughts is I don't care because (laughs) because both both stories are incredible. Right. Okay. Right. If if you're if you're the rah rah UFO guy. Then uh, do do what I recommend. Take all take November thirtieth on and just wipe it clean, and stick with one particular date where eleven police officers, over a hundred citizens, and a dispatcher all saw the same thing. Okay, right. There right. has been nothing that's been able to debunk that particular night. Okay, there's no way to say. Although they didn't see that. That's not what they saw. I mean, anybody saying that, that's all they're doing is they're saying it. There's no Mm -hmm. evidence for or against other than eyewitness accounts of federal police officers. Okay. You end up like the helicopter guy trying to debunk it with a helicopter. And to me, a federal police officer is more likely to recognize a helicopter uh, than anybody else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because I, I bet most of these guys were in the military at some point. Probably, yep. But 
let's just say okay it was it's not a it's not really a alien spacecraft it's this tr3b well how freaking cool is that no joke yeah that that we actually developed technology for a craft that could fly this way. Yeah. Anti-gravity uh, yeah. technology. Yeah. Anti-gravity technology, anti-radar technology. The thing can go into orbit. Okay. I mean, that is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Also very dangerous. Okay. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. that's dangerous technology to have. This is the kind of technology people die over. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, because again, I mean, I, you know, we were we were making jokes earlier, but this this kind of fits. You you have something like this, and it becomes public that you got it. This kind of stuff is what starts wars. Yep. Oh oh, yep. you've developed this kind of plane. Well. We we find out you're flying it anywhere around us. We're gonna attack. We're gonna assume that that is an offensive maneuver. Because I mean, this yep. would be like the yep. ultimate spy plane if you outfit it with with weaponry. I mean, it's it's the surprise attack. Why have any other planes? Just have this. Yep. You know, you fly That's why around, I said, dude. And do all these maneuvers that regular planes cannot do. Mm-hmm. That's why I said, why not go to Belgium if you're testing it. Don't test it in a hostile environment. Right. Test it in, in one of our sister countries that isn't going to take it as a threat from us. Right. I mean, yeah, because you could say all day, oh, well, we can't detect it on American radar. Yeah, well, you're you're trying. Mm-hmm, um, exactly. Well, let's 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 test it on somebody unsuspecting. Who are we gonna pick? What about Belgium? Okay, why not? They're they're good folks. Um yep. you know, they ain't got nothing against us. So here we go. And I mean, it's as legitimate as anything else. You know, I mean, you know, we've got now, of course, you know, seeing the schematics, it it looks it looks really cool. It is a flipping triangle for crying out loud. Um, Mm -hmm. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it actually exists. Um, Right. Right. The patent kind of points to the fact that it, it it existed. Um and that more of them may exist um, yeah, or theoretically existed at the very least. But I'm, I'm kind of confused, you know, since when does the military go, oh, we're going to patent this so nobody yeah. else can make it. What? Yeah. Wait, right. Why is there, is there somebody else? I mean, then no, you know, nowadays, you know, when private citizens have enough money to go to outer space, um, you know, you, you might worry. Um, but you know, hell, I mean, I, I figured Elon Musk probably has three of these in his garage. <laughs> yeah. You know, he invented himself, but you know, you, you, you see where I'm going with this. It either, either those guys saw, you know, some type of alien craft that was unknown to this country or this world. Um, or, or they got a glimpse of probably the coolest um, piece of military technology that's ever been created. Yep. On one of its maiden voyages. Yeah. So again, either way, whichever way you want to believe, it's cool. I'll tell you this. I believe one or the other. I I don't buy that these, all of these reports are misidentified helicopters or any of that. Nope. Nope. 
No. They saw something. Um, it, it wasn't all mass hysteria caused by somebody's styrofoam cutout photo that they took right. and now finally fessed up to. It wasn't a ton of helicopters that were misidentified. So there was something. Um, you know my thoughts on aliens. I think if aliens do exist, it's multidimensional. It's not interplanetary. But it it could highly be this TR-3B. Yeah. And if it is, I love, I, I mean, as scary as it is, I love the thought that we have this technology. Yeah. And I mean, what, I mean, it, it, as much as what this ship can do, why not? It goes between dimensions. Yeah, there you go. Okay. There you go. You know, wait, sold, how much are they? That's just a <laughs> software upgrade that Elon is actually working on. Yeah. Um, he's creating the uh, the Tesla add-on for the TR-3B yeah. to make it interdimensional. That's right. Yeah, as long as you're able to get Wi-Fi, you can get the update. <laughs> and it has a dance mode, too. So you hit that, and it dances with lights flashing. and Yeah, you know, so the lights all start moving, bouncing around, yep. you know, turning different party colors. Mode. Yeah, it's party mode. <laughs> so obviously, we don't know what the hell this is yeah. or what happened. So what do you, what do you guys think it is? Um, do you think it's, uh, you know, the, the top secret TR-3B aircraft? Um. Do you uh, do you believe that maybe it was an an alien craft of some type? Uh, do you believe it's helicopters? If you tell me you believe it's helicopters, then I'm probably not going to talk to you for a day or two. Um, <laughs> right, but <laughs> he needs a cooling off period if you tell him that. <laughs> but uh, but what you're what getting do you, the what do, you guys, treatment. what do you guys think? You believe these officers? I believe that they saw something. It's just a matter of what you think. Maybe they saw. Um, let us know, and the, the best place to, to do that is in our Facebook group. Um, what, Adam, you tell me where, what, where, are we at 7,000? Over 7,000 members yeah. of the graveyard right now. That's phenomenal. It is, a, it is a safe space to share your stories, your experiences, your ideas, your thoughts, your jokes. Um, no one is going to pick and poke and make fun of you. Everybody just wants to hear cool stories. And if you've got mm -hmm. a, a really cool idea um, about how this is, I, I had a, a, we had a listener today um, post something about uh, w that mythical creatures existed, you know, centuries ago. And we see the evidence of them today in regular people. I, I, I saw that. I loved that. Yeah. That's that. Cool. What a, what a, what an interesting theory. Um, something that Adam, neither Adam nor I have ever come up with. I love it. Those are the type of things that you can see as a member of the graveyard. And, and while you're doing that, slide over to our website. It is graveyardpodcast.com. And there you can find links to purchase Graveyard Tales merchandise. You can listen to the show and you can become a patron that we mentioned at the top of the show. Thank you to everyone who has donated Uh to graveyard tales oh yeah uh don't forget to rate and review us on itunes it brings us up the charts it makes it easier for people to find the show and it brings more people into the graveyard so until next time we'll save you a seat in the graveyard see you soon <laughs>